you ever found yourself needing to make a call from a potentially embarrassing situation. Many years back, I was walking hand in hand with my then girlfriend through this park on a breezy summer evening. We had had the perfect date. This was still early on in our, our relationship, this girl that I was dating at the time. And, and uh, we'd been down to SoCal for the day on a double date with another couple. It'd been perfect. It'd been like one of those one-on-ones straight off The Bachelor. And things are going terrific. And uh, even now, late at night, the moon is out. Uh, every joke that I'm making is met with this, you know, wonderful laugh. And I'm just like, this is a sure sign of things to come. So we make our, our round around the park, and we come back uh, to where our friend's car was waiting. And it wasn't there, so we figure they're going to get gas or whatever. And, and so we sit on a bench, and we, you know, look deeply into each other's eyes, and the romance continues to build. But about midnight, we started realizing it doesn't seem like they're coming back. Okay, here's what it, it turned out, okay? Turned out that the two of these others that we were with, they got into a fight, and they decided it would be a good idea to leave. So they leave the scene. So about midnight, security comes and unceremoniously kicks me and my girlfriend out of the park. Okay? So now I am somewhere between Fresno and L.A. at, at some stop along the 99, uh, at a gas station payphone. Now, uh, there was no smartphone versatility left to us, no contact list, my phone had died, no college friends to call, no cousins, just change enough for a quick phone call. And so desperate times call for desperate calls, and so at about 1 a.m., an hour later, as my eyes are embarrassingly fixed on the asphalt ground in front of me, my salvation did appear on the horizon in the form of my mom's minivan. <laughs> and I'll never forget, she pulls up, I, I have to open the sliding door, right, it's 1 a.m., and I say, uh, Mom, this is uh, Delilah, Delilah, this is my mother. And that is how my wife of 10 years met her future mother-in-law. <laughs> that is the true story of a call I did not want to make and a vehicle I did not want to be in. I wonder if anybody else ever had to make a call like that. You, you have to get bailed out somehow, some way. You have to call someone to vouch for your suddenly rocky reputation, perhaps. In our passage this morning, we pick up the story of Jonah, the prodigal prophet, as he has just been saved from a desperate and humiliating situation in the most unlikely of vehicles. And see, maybe you weren't with us last week, but we can review um, Jonah's story to this point real quick. In, in the course of just a single chapter, he has managed to betray his vocation as a prophet, as a messenger of God, by going in precisely the opposite direction of where God has called him. It would be the equivalent of your boss tells you, hey, I want you to go make this presentation in L.A., and you say, sure, and then you board a flight to New York City. That's essentially what Jonah's done. And in the process of doing this, he puts the lives of innocent others at risk. And so as a consequence, as, as chapter 1 came to a close, we find him sitting in the belly of a great fish. So this morning, we're gathered around a story of a person who's praying from a situation of darkness and desperation. Our, our passage takes us to those sort of waters this morning. And so where we come from this week really matters. Because to be honest, I think some of us know that if we were just being clearing the air with everybody, our lives 
kind of are in a tailspin right now. Maybe it's been a really difficult week for you and your family. Maybe you feel like in some respect you're sitting in the darkness with Jonah. You feel trapped by something. Now, others of us here this morning, though, um, maybe we feel like what God's going to do for us this morning is we're going to be taken back in our memories to a time where we were once in that sort of a situation. Maybe God's going to do some, some recollection work with us today. And still for some others of you, uh, you're having a great summer. You're cruising along. That's awesome. We're glad you're here with us today. And so maybe all you're getting today is just a primer, something to stow away, put in the back pocket for potentially murky waters ahead. But whatever the case, my invitation for us, Prodigal Church this morning, is that we allow the poetry and the prayer of Jonah to flood over our experiences, our imaginations, to let the words of old seep into the hard reality of our lives today. So here's the thing. At the opening of the chapter, we've already mentioned, we know where Jonah is. He's in the belly of the whale. But while he's in the dark of the whale, Jonah does something really interesting. He actually takes us back a step to the moments before the great fish got there to what it was like when he was still mid-plunge descending into his watery grave in the Mediterranean. That's what Jonah's doing. He's taking us back to this moment. His whole life is in freefall. All the movement of his story, starting in chapter 1 and continuing into chapter 2, is of ever lower and lower lows. The graph would be pointed in a decidedly downward direction. So notice with me the words of Scripture that are used to narrate this situation. They'll be on the screen. In my distress, I called to the Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead, I call for help. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and all the currents swirled above me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. Now, have any of you ever been to the beach? Maybe you were swimming, uh, and you're out there swimming, and you come up for that, that gasp of water. You're swimming in the ocean or maybe a wave pool. And you come up, and you take that first... <gasps> Breath, and right as you do, a wave hits you, and then you come back up again, and you're trying to take that breath, and another wave hits you. That's what Jonah has experienced, and now he's saying, all of those waters are above me. In other words, he's plummeting. That's the image. Here it continues. He said to God, I have been banished from your sight. The engulfing waters threatened me. The Hebrew here is very beautiful. Literally in the Hebrew, it says this. The waters were at my very throat. In other words, you're You're on your last breath. You're on your last breath. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever to the pit. My very life was ebbing away. Stunning language, isn't it? And get this. The downward trajectory goes deeper than even we might realize. All right, see, in the the ancient Hebrew conception of the world, they thought of reality like this, right? Uh, Their science would would have told them, their observations would have told them, there's essentially three stories to reality, okay? There's heaven above, where God operates from. There's earth, which we all know. And then beneath us is the place of the dead, Sheol. And, And between earth, which we know, and Sheol, which we're afraid of, is this whole sea thing, where the waters that are chaotic, um, where ships full of adventurers go off to seek their fortunes never to be seen again. So I love this, this next picture that's going to be up on the screen. I think this gives us a good sense of how the ancients thought about what the sea was. It's a terrifying place of monster-infested waters. So just keep this in mind. 
Jonah most certainly cannot swim, okay? Jonah, son of Amittai, had not signed up for the mommy and me swimming class, okay? So he can't swim. So think back to that time, perhaps for some of you swimmers, right, it's, it's earlier, but think back to the time when you were a little kid and there were the restricted uh, waters of the deep end. Remember that? Well, in the ancient world, nobody can swim, so the, all water is the deep end. Or think back to, maybe you went to the lake, right? You go to the lake, you're a kid, and you feel that feeling of something slipped by you under the water, that kind of slimy feeling, and you realize there's something there. These primal fears that we only have sort of a tiny grasp of, these are magnified and amplified in the ancient world. The water is the place of death. The water is the place of monsters. And Jonah says, the water is the place where I was. He's describing the terrifying experience of slipping into the furthest regions of reality removed from God's presence. But even though this is an ancient worldview that we're talking about in, in ancient symbolism, the point that he's making is extremely relevant to us. Because what he's doing is he's asking one of our deepest questions. Here's the question he's asking. He's saying, how far would God really pursue me before I step over some boundary line and grace just gets winded and gives up chase? How far would God possibly stoop to pick us up? That's the question that he's asking. All of Jonah's images are pushing the limits of how far one person's travels could possibly take them from God. So yes, in a culture in which everyone knows God is above us, and the closest you can get to God is if you climb the mountain to the, to the heights and you're in God's holy temple. Jonah says, if that's where God was, I had sank to rock bottom at the watery foundations of the world. You can't imagine a bigger expanse, a bigger distance between where God is and where Jonah is saying he was. He's swimming in chaos and halfway into the very pit of the dead. And some of us would say, well, Jonah, come on now, man. This seems like a bit of a tall tale. Aren't you embellishing just a little bit? But the point is this. Well, some have seen a tall tale here. The point is that this is a story with deep implications. Because at the heart of Jonah's prayer, we get two words that change everything. He's described where he is, and all of a sudden, he reads a line of his prayer, and he says this, but God, but God, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up out of the pit. And see, this really means something to us, because if Jonah's life was heading nowhere fast, but God whistles, and a great monster of the deep comes to do his bidding, well, then maybe there's hope for me, right? Like, Maybe God can find me at the end of this divorce. Could it be that the circumstance that I feel swallowed up in, that I feel is so final and definitive of my life, maybe that's not as final as I thought it. Because look, we can be drowning in the drama of our families, and we can be 20,000 leagues from perfect, but at the back of our mind, as people of faith, we always have this thought that says, yeah, but if God plucked that old rebel Jonah out of the ocean, coughing and sputtering, and saved his life, maybe God's not through with me yet. Our lives are, are never told in full until we've inserted God into the situation. It's one of the reasons we're so passionate about baptisms here at Prodigal Church, because that but God phrase can really be helpful in determining, our, here, here was my life. I was dead. Here's, here's what was going on. Here's where I was headed. But God. But God. That's the key phrase this morning. God brings life out from the clutches of death. 
So let's think about Jonah's prayers. We're going we're gonna to get two prayers from Jonah. The prayer that he offers in the water as he's falling, and the prayer he, he remembers and writes when he's in the bellyfish. So two prayers. Notice that compared to the life and death stakes of the prayer, this is Jonah's best that he has to offer as he's falling into a certain, certain death. Compared to the life and death stakes of the prayer and the incredible deliverance that follows, the prayer of Jonah is hardly worth mentioning, except it's notable in one regard. It's the first upward sign we've seen in two chapters in Jonah. Just one simple upward swing. Herman Melville, uh, the author of that other great whale story, Moby Dick, he has this wonderful line. He says, There is no prayer so deep and devout as the one prayed on one's knees at the bottom of the ocean. The prayer of desperation. We say, Herman, that's a really good line. Like, that's some good stuff. But, come on, man, wouldn't such a prayer also be quite brief? The prayer prayed from the bottom of the ocean. It's hard to express and explain your whole life story on 2% lung capacity. So back to the image. Jonah's plummeting. He's falling. He feels uh, air escaping his body. He's half drowned. But in one of the last bubbles that escapes from his body, he cries out to God. And somehow that's enough. Somehow that's enough. God acts and God's saved. Here's what Jonah says. He says, the Lord answered me. You listened to my cry. I said, I will look again toward your holy temple. It's the first time he puts his head up in the story. Everything's been down, down, down. Finally, in a last, last gasp, gasp of air on his life, he turns heavenward. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. See, that's the interesting thing. God finds a way. And that's what the great fish is. See, I often think that in Jonah, especially as little kids, we can get the story sort of a little bit mixed up with the character. We can sort of think of, of the great fish, this whale, something like this. We can kind of think of it as a villain, as the monster of the story. This is God's henchman out to get revenge on the runaway prophet on God's behalf. Like three days and nights inside of the great beast. Like that ought to teach him. We make him out to be the villain. But here's the thing, there's something else going on in this story. If you really read the story and you see, what does the whale actually do for Jonah? Here's the thing, the whale isn't so much the villain of the story as he is the vehicle of salvation. Here's what Jonah learns in the ancient submarine that God provides for him. He's in a pretty desperate situation, and God finds a pretty creative solution. In the end... The monster that Jonah fears in God's mysterious way and plan becomes his means of freedom. See, that's how God works. Sometimes, isn't it fascinating that God uses the things in our life that bother us, um, circumstances that we don't really understand, people that rub us the wrong way, sometimes it's through them that God somehow shifts our life in the right direction. I wonder how God might be doing that in our lives, in our church this morning. So, okay, Brad. His, his prayer outside of the fish, that's pretty pathetic. But what about his prayer on the inside? Doesn't he more than make up for it with this beautiful poetic prayer from within? And here's what I would say. At first glance, his prayer is pretty impressive, right? The words look really good on paper. Here's what I want you to know, though. The prayer from the gut of the fish is not straight out of Jonah's gut. And there's an important 
message here for some of us who are struggling maybe in, in trying to understand this whole prayer thing, whether we've been in church for a long time or not. A lot of us have a difficult time expressing ourselves to God. And I think part of, part of the problem is that some of us, the only way that we've experienced prayer or had it explained to us is it's this spontaneous thing that just happens inside of us. It's personal. Uh, these words that just bubble up from within. And those are beautiful prayers that the Bible honors and that we as a church want to honor. But we get into some dangerous waters when we tend to think those are the only sort of prayers that are available to us. Because what about when the foundations of our life are shaking and we don't have the words? What about when we're looking at our human condition uh, eye to eye, we're, we're surrounded by chaos and suffering, and all of a sudden we don't feel the words coming to us? Here's the interesting thing that Jonah does. In the thick of it, in the dark, with only free willy for company, we find Jonah using the words of others to express his heart to God. Some of you remember, who was here for our 150 series? Okay, for our 150 series on the Psalms, some of us were here earlier this year. Well, here's what we find Jonah quite literally doing. He's copying and pasting lines from the Psalms into his own prayer to God. He's relying on the words of Scripture to help him make sense of his situation and turn it into a, into a cry to God. See, for some of us, this could be freeing. Sometimes we need the words of others, and we need the words of Scripture, and we need the images from prayers like this in the Bible to kind of act as buoys that sort of lift our hopes back up to the surface when we're in the midst of it. When as a pastor, I'm in these really difficult circumstances and we're doing things like funerals and we're at places like hospitals, very often it's not that I suddenly know the thing to say. Yes, the Spirit does that. But other times it's simply relying on the words that God gives us. And we pray them and we feel them moving through us to express truth. So, we learn from Jonah's prayer outside the fish that prayers from the deep can be simple. And we learn from his prayer inside the fish that uh, prayers don't have to be wholly original. But here's the last thing. They're not meant to be forgotten in the darkness. In verses 8 and 9, Jonah is found doing what so many of us do on a bad day. He's making commitments to God in droves. Okay? This is the God, I'll never do this again. He's bargaining with God. He's saying, God, uh, if you get me out of this situation, then I'll do X, Y, and Z. A lot of us know this, right? It's, God, I swear, if this person is interested in me, Lord, our family will be so God-honoring. Lord, if you just give me this promotion, I, I just promise, Lord, I'll, t I'll start tithing on it. Like, we do all of these weird things. It's not God asking us to do those prayers. This is what happens when we insert ourselves back into the middle of the equation. That's what we find Jonah doing. Jonah's prayers in verses 8 and 9, and Pastor John and I are going to talk about these last three verses in our, in our prodigal podcast this week, because there's just more to handle than we have time for but we find Jonah saying things like this, I will sacrifice. What I have vowed, I will make good, I will say. Having just been delivered by God from where his own decisions had taken him, how quickly the religious impulse kicks back in and he makes it about himself again. God is trying to get Jonah to understand that he's sending him to them, those who need the good news. But Jonah's prayers are I, I, I. So beginning in verse 10, which is our last verse today, and headed into next week, when the whale finally breaches from the cold, dark waters, and Jonah is vomited, quite literally, into the bright daylight above, he finds out how hard it is to humbly recall, in the warmth of day, 
all those commitments that you made when you were at rock bottom. And to be clear, we're two chapters into Jonah. Like, Jonah's got remaining work to do. God's not through with him yet. But here's what I don't want us to miss. Jonah is a person who is on the verge of death, in darkness and despair, and the mercy and power of God brought him back to life. And whether that's the younger son in, in the story of the prodigal son that, that we're named after, the, the son who was in the far-off country but came home, or whether it's Jonah, the prodigal po- prophet, in the far reaches of international waters, whenever someone comes home, that's cause for celebration. So again, I ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to pray from a compromised uh, bind of some sort. Maybe not the belly of a whale, okay, but a hotel room, a place you knew you really shouldn't be, the back of a police cruiser, praying from an ER room, praying with a substance in your system. Can you remember where you were the last time that God found you in the depths of some sort? Can you remember where you were headed? Can you remember how it felt? Maybe you're open to have that sort of experience this morning. But as I sat with the story this week, I thought, this is totally not fair. I'm gonna, this is a deep chapter of the Bible, and there's so much going on in here. I'm going to ask all these good people these deep, dark questions. So I said I, I should probably look into a situation in my own life that's a little bit worse than having your mom pick you up from a park. And frankly, this, this next one's a little bit hard to stomach because, like Jonah, I knew better. But it didn't stop me from stumbling back to my dorm room at 3 a.m., the lingering feel of hard liquor on my teenage throat. And I remember I, I go into the room, and the light switches in the on position, but the room seems sort of vaguely dim. And I, I have my Nike hoodie on, and there's smoke. You can smell smoke that's still on it. And I remember I was so lonely that I was deflated at the thought of spending even those next few hours alone. But with no roommate in dorm room number 203, just me and my creaky college bunk bed, I slunk to my knees, and I can still remember the feel of this stupid, like, cheap college carpet coming up on my knees through my jeans. There, slunk to my knees, I reached down for a prayer with all my religious upbringing. I reached down for a prayer, something impressive and profound to say, to explain myself, And all I found were sobs and shame. I uttered the most pathetic prayer. But God, even there in that despairing condition, in the throes of my backsliding and squandering, I can't explain it, but I feel like God did show show up and pick me up. I'm not saying that it was magic. I'm not saying it was an easy fix. Uh, I'm not saying I was picked up so I never fell again. But truly, I would tell you today that Jesus is in the business of going to the depths to save. The scriptures tell us that there's no descent that Jesus isn't willing to make, no realm off limits to his lordship, no one of us that's beyond his reach and resources. It's why the early church, when they gathered together in places like this each Sunday, one of the lines that they would speak to one another is they said, he descended to the dead, and on the third day he came up again. Proving once and for all that, as St. Paul puts it, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to invite the, the worship band up to lead us again. What does it mean to pray from the deep, according to Jonah's journal entry in Jonah chapter 2? To pray from the deep means something like to pray from the depths of our failures, from the depths of our souls, from desperate circumstances. And that's why I think that I don't know, I don't know the terrain of your story, right? Like, I, I don't know your story. I don't know what brought you here. But I think that there's a lot in Jonah's situation that could resonate with many of us. Maybe you've been running for a long time. Maybe you feel like you've been sitting in darkness a whole lot longer than three days and nights. Maybe um, you know that you're putting off something that God has called you to, and you just keep putting it off. Maybe God picked you up once in the past, but this morning you're kind of doubting whether he can get you out of this one. Here's what I want to say. This morning, as the worship band leads us in this next song, you don't have to have the words. In this closing prayer and in the words that we're singing, let those words be buoys that raise your own spirits and hopes to God. What would it look like if we called out this morning from our own lives? What the message of Jonah chapter 2 is, is very simple. It's that grace runs farther and grace runs faster and grace runs deeper than you or I could possibly imagine. And that thousands of years later, we can still agree with Jonah that when we turn our eyes to God, we can trust that salvation comes from the Lord. Will you stand and pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for this group of people, God. I thank you for being present here with us this morning. I thank you for not just including uh, chapters, God, from, from those in Scripture, God, that it's them at their best, but God, when it's them at rock bottom. Lord, I thank you for stooping and condescending, Lord, to meet us where we are. 